0: What do you think is the, uh, the most quoted verse in the Bible? John 3.16. Yeah, probably that's, I mean, we don't know for sure. I mean, who's keeping track of every time a verse is quoted? But probably John 3.16 is right there toward the top. Um, but uh, at least that's a verse that, that Christians quote a lot, right? But what verse do non-Christians, what verse from the Bible do they quote the most? I'm not real sure. I mean, the golden rule might be high on the list, but I'll tell you which one I think is also pretty high on the list. It's Matthew 7, verse 1. Now, they probably don't know the reference, but here's the verse. It says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And people who don't even claim to be Christians will quote that verse to Christians. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons why people might quote this teaching from Jesus, but here's the one that I think is one of the more common reason, reasons, is that many times, uh, the reason that a non-Christian would quote this verse to a Christian is that they feel like there is a disconnect between the teaching of Jesus and what they see as the behavior from Jesus' followers. They know that Jesus taught love and forgiveness and do not judge And they see Christians as unloving, unforgiving, and judgmental. And so they say that we are not following the teaching of our own founder. So this week, we are continuing our series, Unimpressed, Seven Reasons Why Your Friends Are Not Becoming Christians. And in the series, we're talking about seven defeater beliefs That is, ideas that if you believe them, they make Christianity seem unimpressive and undesirable. And this week, we're looking at the statement that people should be free to live as they see fit as long as they don't harm anyone. So, why is this a defeater belief? How does this belief make Christianity seem unimpressive? Well, firstly... This is a different ethical system for determining right and wrong than what is presented in the Bible. And if you believe that people should be free to live as they see fit as long as they don't harm anyone, it will lead you to some different conclusions about the morality of certain behaviors. And since ethics are a big part of religious belief, if you believe that Christianity gets ethics wrong, you're not going to be very impressed by Christianity. But what is wrong with this system for deciding right and wrong? It actually sounds pretty good if you kind of think about it a little bit. Uh, We want a system that allows freedom to do things that are not wrong. That is, we, we don't want an overly restrictive system that condemns people for doing things that are actually okay. And what's the problem with actions that don't hurt anyone? Well, here are a couple of points that you can make when you discuss this with someone. The first one is that this assumes that there is no God to offend. But the Bible teaches us that God is actually the one who is primarily offended by our sin. What that means is that, yes, our sin uh, very often hurts other people, but it also offends God. When we lie and cheat and steal, we are harming other people, but we are also rebelling against the God of the universe. And even if our sin doesn't harm another human, it may still be offensive to God and therefore sinful. One of the most obvious examples of this is the sin of idolatry, that is the worship of other gods. By the world standards, uh, it is not wrong, and people should be free to worship Buddha or Zeus or Ra or Allah or whoever they want to worship. Uh, as long as they're not harmed, what's the problem? But God disagrees. The prophet Jeremiah speaks for God when the people of his day decided not to worship the real God, but to follow God man-made religions instead. Here's what Jeremiah said. He said, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. You see, God sees the practice of false religion as a horror But the modern ethic of as long as you aren't hurting anyone, it's okay, says it's fine. So that's one clear example that illustrates the principle, but it is not the only example. There are behaviors that God says are wrong that the world, by its standard, says are okay. But if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Because God is a better judge of what is just and right and good or evil and harmful and wrong than we are. If our actions are seen as sinful by God, then we cannot respond by saying, well, I'm not hurting anybody, so it's okay. A second talking point that you might use in discussing this defeater belief with someone who holds it is that we are not able to know whether our actions are hurting anyone. Are you familiar with the law of unintended consequences? Basically what it says is that any action that we do, including when we're attempting to do something good and helpful, is likely to also result in additional consequences, and many of them could be bad, but that we had no intention of happening. Many times, these consequences are not only unintended, but they are unforeseen and unknown. What this means is that even when we think that our actions are not hurting anyone, we might be doing significant damage nonetheless. What makes this uh, the ethical system that says people should be free to live however they Like, as long as they aren't hurting anyone, seem like a pretty unreliable system because you may very well be hurting yourself and the people around you uh, even if you don't know it and don't intend it. So due to at least these two reasons, the belief that everyone should be free to live as they please as long as they're not hurting anyone is not a good way of determining right and wrong. But really, I think that there is a bigger issue that most of the people uh, who believe this have with Christianity, and that is that the popularly quoted verse that we talked about at the beginning of this message. Because the key part of this defeater belief that really makes it a defeater belief is that people see Christians as interfering in the freedom that others should have to live as they see fit. They see us as improperly judging the behavior of the people around us. And when we seek to limit the freedom that others should have by condemning their behavior, we are, in the eyes of many, actually harming those people, which, by their definition, makes our actions wrong. So why would they want to be a part of this judgmental group of people who do wrong by trying to point out the wrong things that others are doing. So, do you know what's really ironic, though, is that many of us as Christians, when we hear that outsiders think that we are being judgmental, we immediately start judging the people who say that. And our response is to say something like, well, they're just saying that because they're really sinful people and they don't like it when we point out their sins. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they, so they call us judgmental because they don't like to have their sins highlighted. And clearly, that, there's some truth in that, right? People really don't like to have their sins highlighted um, and don't like to, uh, to have their flaws pointed out. And when we tell them they're sinful, most of the time they get defensive. And sometimes part of their defensiveness is to call us judgmental. But there is more to it than that. Because it's, not just, it's more than just people not liking to have their own sins pointed out. Um, you see, by far the single biggest issue that people uh, generally see us judging is homosexuality. Um, now, is it the case of people not liking to have their own sins pointed out? No. No. Because only a small portion of our population consider themselves to be homosexual, but a very large portion of our population consider us to be judgmental toward homosexuals. They're not upset about their own sins being pointed out. They're just upset that we're pointing out sins uh, in general. So that's an obvious example of the fact that it is not only when sins that people are guilty of themselves are condemned, that they perceive us as being judgmental. Because we know that the majority of those who see us as judgmental are not committing at least that particular sin. And so people are quick to quote Jesus against us. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. But what did Jesus really mean when he said that? Is it true that we are not following Jesus commands when we call sin, sin? That's the real question here, because our behavior can't really be guided primarily by what other people think about us and whether or not they are impressed by the Bible, not by public opinion. So let's dig into the scripture a little bit here and see what it really has to say about this issue of judging. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 for a little bit here. You might want to turn there or it's going to be up on the screen for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Here's what Jesus said He said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now there's a few things that are very clear here on the first surface reading of that passage. First, Jesus is teaching that we should not judge. Right? That's pretty clear. Then he uses a very strong illustration of the foolishness of this judging with the picture of the speck of dust and the plank. And it's clear that Jesus harshly condemns the person who judges by calling them, you hypocrite. You see, Jesus is making a strong statement here against judging. And, uh, but what does he mean by judge? Judge. Does that exclude all judgments of any kind? Clearly not, because right here in this context, and from other statements from Jesus, and from the rest of the Bible, there are some kind of judging that are not forbidden at all. So let's take a quick look at one of the other places, right here in the Gospel of Matthew, where pointing out someone else's sin is actually encouraged says here, uh, Jesus speaking again, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So we see here that Jesus actually wants us to point out other sins uh, in the hope that, uh, of helping them to see their sin so that they will repent of that sin and make progress toward godliness. In fact, this is such an important part of the life of the church that Jesus says that if they don't listen to you, you're not supposed to just drop it and give up. Jesus says, go back and try again with reinforcements. So pointing out someone else's sin with the goal of helping them to overcome that sin and to grow toward righteousness is clearly not prohibited, but encouraged. So what kind of judging is Jesus talking about when he says, Do not judge. Well, back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus uses this great metaphor to explain what he means by do not judge. He says that judgmental people are like someone who has a big old board sticking out of their eye, pointing out a little speck in someone else's eye. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, this is a metaphor for a person who has obvious sins in their own life, who is blind to their own sin, but quite perceptive about the sins of others. And quick to speak out uh, to those others and make them aware of their sins and their need to remove them. And isn't that really a common tendency, right? We're all quick to spot the smallest moral failures of others while we play down and dismiss our own sins. We look down on the person who listens to rap music with violent, profanity-filled lyrics while we watch violent, profanity-filled movies. Or we are quick to point out the sin of the Mexican who broke the law by crossing the border illegally, looking for a better life, while we are blind to our own materialistic greed. Or we condemn another person's outbursts of anger while we condone jealousy and pride in our own hearts. But the fact is that this is a common tendency But that doesn't mean that it's okay and that it's no big deal. Jesus strongly condemns this kind of judgment that ignores our own sins while pointing out the sins of others. Jesus calls the person who does this a hypocrite. And as Christians, we need to work hard to not give in to this common tendency and to avoid this kind of hypocritical judgment. Jesus says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Our first priority must be to take a good look at ourselves and to see if there are uh, are any planks in our eye, to see if there are sins in our own lives that we are ignoring and justifying and to deal with those sins. What is more important? That we recognize sin in our own lives and take steps to deal with it? Or that we make sure that others know that we do not approve of their sins? Jesus leaves us no doubt on this issue. Our first priority must be to hunt down and to begin to deal with the sins in our own lives. But don't miss the next part of what Jesus says. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying we should never try to help somebody to identify and remove sin. He's saying that we must first remove the planks from our eyes and then we can help others too. Jesus is saying here that it is okay, in fact, it is good to help other people with the speck in their eye provided that we have first removed the plank from our own eye. Now, does that mean that we have to be morally perfect, having defeated all sin in our own lives before we can ever point out the sin in someone else's life? No, clearly that's an impossible standard we could never reach. But what, you know, isn't that what it sounds like, though? First take the plank out of your own eye? First remove your own sin from your life? But if we can't really remove all the sin from our lives, does that mean we can never be in a position to help someone to begin to deal with their own sin? Well, I think that the, the, the key here is the extreme blindness that Jesus is illustrating with the metaphor. It is the person who is oblivious to this huge plank in their eye that needs to refrain from pointing out the sins of others. But if we are attentive to our own lives and we examine ourselves regularly, confessing any known sins to God, and then with the help of the Holy Spirit we, uh, he, who works within us, we can remove the planks from our eyes. Spend time in your Bible, spend time in prayer, and God will help you to see your faults. Some sins will be very hard to remove even after we become aware of them. If you struggle with anger or with greed or lust, it will be hard to completely rid yourself of those things. If we come to realize that we have a struggle with a particular area of sin, we need to come up with a plan for dealing with it. We need to take some steps to fight against the specific sins that we find are our biggest temptations. If we are engaged in a fight against the sin in our lives and making progress in that battle we are not in the position of the guy with the plank in his eye. What Jesus is saying here is that as long as we are not fully engaged in the struggle against our own sins, we need to keep our mouths shut about other people's sins. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Now, in addition to the hypocrisy of condemning other people's sins while you ignore your own, there's another big reason that people who know their struggle with sin are the only ones who are qualified to help others. Because someone who is honestly and earnestly struggling with their own sins is not going to be condescending and self-righteous in their approach to others. Rather when we go into it with an acute awareness of our own sins and with our own difficulties in ridding ourselves of our sins, we will approach others with compassion, empathy, and understanding. And don't you think that, is, uh, that this will be a lot more effective at helping people? Isn't this the way that you would want to be approached by someone who saw a sin in your life? And if Christians can consistently show these kinds of attitudes to the world around us, we might start to change the negative perceptions that they have of us. But that brings up another key point in understanding what kind of situations can be appropriate times for uh, pointing out someone else's sins. Both here in our main passage in Matthew 7 and also from that other section we looked at from Matthew 18, The people uh, that we are pointing out their sins to are called brothers, right? The person with the speck in his eye that we are helping to see the sin is our brother or sister in Christ, not an outsider. The principle that we are to show compassionate judgment to the people inside the church and not judge the people outside the church is a well-established principle in Scripture. And the most clear example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, the church in Corinth, um, they had heard the Christian teaching on grace, that we are not under the law, and that had led them to some misunderstanding. Uh, Many of them seem to have thought that what that meant was that any and all sin should be tolerated. And so when there was a man in the church who was living in a totally inappropriate relationship, they were actually kind of proud of themselves at their lack of judgmentalism and lack of legalism and the amount of grace that they could show for this guy. And here is part of the apostle's response to them. He said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, In that case, you'd have to leave the world. See, on this point, we can remember the example of Jesus, who on multiple occasions uh, offended the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, by socializing with sinful people. He did it so much that his opponents derisively accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Paul points out how impractical it would be to not associate with sinful worldly people. You'd have to leave the world. But we also see from Jesus' example that it would not be Christ-like to avoid spending time with them. If you want to follow Jesus' example, you need to associate with sexually immoral people. The Bible goes on and says, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, that is, they're claiming to be a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. You see, there is a huge contrast here between how we are to treat someone who is sinful, but is a person of this world who makes no claim to be a Christian, compared to how we are to treat a Christian who is sinful. If they're not Christians, then treat them in such a way that legalistic Pharisees will insult you by calling you a friend of sinners. But if they are Christians and are living in blatant sin and refusing to repent, do not even eat with such people. And the climax of the passage comes in the next verse where it says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And that's where he's talking about that guy who was in that inappropriate relationship, who was claiming to be part of the church. And Paul says, no, he must go. Now, I'm not sure how the Bible could be any more clear on this issue. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Christians are not to judge people who are not claiming to be Christians. And by judge, we mean to point out their sins, express our disapproval of their behavior, and condemn them. Why should people who have not given themselves to Jesus behave according to God's standards? When we judge non-Christians and tell them how sinful they are, we're getting things in the wrong order. It's only after people who have put their faith in Jesus that they have a reason to care about what the Bible teaches about godly behavior. The Bible teaches that the process of growing into holy living the process of, of, of moving away from sin, what we call sanctification, comes after our salvation. But how are we to help people to understand their need for salvation? Don't we need to tell them God's standards and help them to see that they don't measure up so that they will understand why they needed Jesus to die for them? Yes, it is necessary that they understand that they are sinful and need a savior. And occasionally it will be necessary for us to help someone to see that. But as my favorite uh, preacher, Timothy Keller, puts it, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, We are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If we are to present the gospel to people, we need to present both of those truths. The person who does not accept that he is sinful and flawed has not accepted the gospel. But as we attempt to explain the gospel to people, including the part about their sinfulness, we must do it without violating the clear teaching of Scripture when it says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? God will judge those outside. Now, that's a sensitive business because to help people to see that they are sinful without judging them, I mean, that requires a great amount of tact and compassion and empathy. And obviously, you can't do it with a plank in your eye. But, you know, I think that often persuading someone that they have moral flaws is really unnecessary because most people already know that they fall short. Persuading an unbeliever that a particular behavior is sinful is rarely essential to presenting the gospel. So, yes, occasionally we might find it necessary to point out specific sins in a person's life, in order to explain the gospel to them, but it must be done in a loving and non judgmental way. But the truth is that non Christians already have got the message pretty clearly that we don't approve of their sin and that we believe that God doesn't approve of it either. That message has been communicated pretty loud and clear. We have shown them that we stand with God in considering them more sinful and flawed than they ever dared to believe. What we need to do is to also show them that they are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than they ever dared to hope. And that is the challenging part of presenting Christ in the gospel. It's when people really believe in that love and acceptance that they might be ready to hear about their sin and its consequences. So, what did Jesus mean when he said, Do not judge? Well, he was telling us that those with planks in their eyes must not attempt to help others with their sins. It is only those who have removed their planks by examining themselves regularly, listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and repenting from all known sins who have the ability to confront another. Only those who are acutely aware of their struggle against sin in their own lives can help others to struggle against sin. And we have seen that this is only appropriate with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we have no right to judge those who are outside the church. And if we follow these biblical guidelines, we can diminish greatly the effect of this defeater belief that people should be free to live as they see fit as long as they aren't hurting anyone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess our sinfulness to you. Uh, we are not without sin. We are fighting against sin constantly in our own lives. And I pray that you would help us to have that empathy and sympathy and uh, appropriate uh, level of compassion and love toward those who are still struggling or still uh, stuck in their sins. And Lord, I pray that as we behave in this way, that it would break down this barrier of this uh, defeater belief so that people will be impressed with your love and will accept the truth of your gospel. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.